The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Collision, Part 2. Written by Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Mercedes Lackey. Natalia felt the cool morning air on her face as she walked briskly to where the secondary observation and control center was located, in a squat communal building a distance from the barns where the teams had been preparing. As much as she wanted to be in the thick of the fighting, her place was here, receiving directives from the operations center and then ordering her people how to best carry them out. She knew that this made sense, tactically but she still couldn't help but feel resentful of it all the same. She did her level best to completely inhale the smoke from her cigarette during her walk. It didn't help to calm her, but it gave her something to do besides look for something to punch. Just before entering the building at her destination, she stamped out the butt, much to the disdain of the door sentries. Overwatch to Red Leader. Duh. Speak. Away teams are within ten minutes of the touchdown point. Teams red and blue will probably land within five seconds of each other or less. Horsho, I will be in position, ready to act as man of middle, barking into microphone like a good devushka. Taking a deep breath to steady herself, Natalia confidently strode forward, through the doors and into the building. It was awash with activity, just like the buildings she had come from. Instead of weapons and the people that would use them, however, this place was full of tactical displays, communications equipment, and more of the highest-ranking military men than she had ever seen in one place in her entire life. Everyone was moving, talking, reading, typing on PDAs and the like. And on a side table, the ubiquitous urns of coffee, though from the aromatic odor, the coffee was of considerably higher quality than what the infill teams had been granted, and from the bustle of underlings around the table, said coffee was never allowed to grow scorched or stale. As for the Indian, Japanese, Chinese, who knows even Arabic leaders, who liked their tea as well as their coffee, the urns of coffee had been joined by urns of tea, presumably also of high quality. Rank hath its privileges. In deference to the Russians, she even spotted Samovar. The commissar spied her position. Each of the command stations were clearly marked for each team or element of the assault. She walked towards it, but was suddenly obstructed. Worker's champion. How had she not noticed his massive frame when she first walked in? Blocked her way. Natalia Shostakovaya he said by way of a greeting. Instantly she felt small and young. Again. It seems your CCCP is of use. Unspoken, but not unfelt, were the words, after all. She hadn't seen or spoken with him at length since she had been demoted and disgraced in Red Square, at the beginning of the invasion. More than a year later, and yet she continued to feel intimidated by her Uncle Boryets. She set her shoulders, crossing her arms as she looked up at the giant of a man. 
steel in your voice. Sturdy comrades will always be of use. I would not have any others than those in my command. Art of War asked specifically that CCCP and the Best of Echo be the first teams in. That was Victrix in her ear. And there was an evil little chuckle. He said the Supernauts would probably blunder around like unweaned bull calves and throw the entire plan into ruins within the first five minutes. Now that brought a tiny smile to Natalia's face, whether it was true or not, curling her lips. Worker's champion's frown deepened at the sight of it. Something amuses you, Devushka. I would not have thought sending your sturdy comrades into a killing zone would be something to cause you amusement. His comment killed Natalia's smile instantly. Without my comrades, we would not know about the enemy's stronghold in the first place, she replied, an edge to her voice. And they got in and out without detection the first time, despite what Blue Girl says. Could your tin-suited men boast of such things, busy as they were with protecting oil refineries, train stations, border crossings, and airports? A shadow of anger crossed Warriatz's face, but he repressed it. One point scored. The supernauts go where they are commanded and are obedient to their orders, which I fear is not always the case with the CCCP, he retorted smoothly. If you value the lives of your comrades, Natalia Shostakovaya, you would learn the folly of this. Or perhaps their lives only matter as a way for you to slake your thirst for violence. Without another word, he stepped from in front of her, moving to the other side of the building where his own command station was. Natalia's jaw hung open for the barest fraction of a second before she snapped it shut, gritting her teeth and marching for her command station. She stood behind it, gripping the edges of the desk unit, and wanting nothing more than to tear it from its moorings and throw it as hard as she could at the wall. At first... All she could think about was how Boryhets could have the gall to speak to her that way, about her own people. Then her anger cooled, and it was replaced by something worse and insidious. Doubt. This was supposed to be her war, as her father and Boryets had had their great patriotic war. Was she making grave missteps in how she was fighting it? She had always been hot-tempered and had long ago decided that she would rather have spirit and the ability to drive ahead while others pondered and dithered, trying to decide. But was her anger blinding her? Did she let it guide her decisions, even to the detriment of her comrades? This entire operation started due to her unwillingness to wait for the plans of her adopted Sestra, Belladonna Parker, to come to fruition. Would things have been better if she had waited, had listened to her friend and ally? Not only the billions of lives of the planet were at stake, but more immediately, those of her last friends and family. Commissar, Boryets may be trying to goad you into revealing how the CCCP team managed to get in, get out, 
and stay in communication without revealing themselves. Not even Art of War knows about Overwatch 2, only Overwatch 1. Warcross Champion has even less use and more disdain of magic than I do. What would his motive behind this being besides? It seemed unlikely to her, but the little Vedma had uncanny insights into people and their behavior. More than once, since creating Overwatch, Victrix had warned her about people's actions or motivations that seemed unlikely, but had proven true. He doesn't know it's magic. He doesn't know how you did it. But you can bet your favorite bust of Lenin that he wants to find out, so he can use it with his supernauts. He probably assumes it's a technical breakthrough one of your tinkerers did, something you got from Bella and Echo, or a powerful scion you discovered. The first two, he probably thinks he can steal if he knows what it is, and the third, he can take from you directly if it's a Russian. Don't let him trick you into saying something before you speak. He knows how to push your buttons. After all, he installed most of them. Duh, duh. The witch girl was right. It did little to soothe the pain of having incurred Boryat's disappointment and disdain, however. As much as her uncle frustrated her, and her plans, there had been a time, once, when he had been a second father figure in her life. Stern, but the height of what it meant to be Russian at the same time. He had taught her much, had been the one person outside of Mother Talk that she could confide in when she had displeased her father. Even though that time had ended long ago, she still felt its echoes when she spoke with him. Commissar, he's angry because you did something he couldn't. He's angry because you have something he doesn't. There was an audible snort. More than that, your people have a devotion to you he hasn't seen since the Great Patriotic War. Do you think any of his tin soldiers have the kind of loyalty to him that you do from CCCP? You heard him. The imitation was uncanny. They go where they are ordered and do what they are commanded. That sounds like a lapdog to me, not a wolf pack. That's training and brainwashing, not loyalty. She allowed herself a small laugh. <laughs> loyalty requires brains, something their forebear and namesake only possessed when it came to posturing, his tinkering and securing political position. Don't let him guilt you or goad you into showing your hand. Remember, Overwatch 2 is effective only as long as it remains a secret. As long as I remain a secret. There never was a secret yet that Worker's Champion didn't want to know. And remember who he was in bed with back in the old days. Ask Pavel or Georgie. Now that suggestion brought an unpleasant taste to her mouth. But the girl did have a point, didn't she? Perhaps, daughter of Rasputin. First, we are having jobs to do. I with commanding my people. And you are not having time to hold hand of Commissar, da? Damn right. My downtime is just about up. There was a brief pause. Teams red and blue at the LZ now. Touching down in... Three, two, one, 
Op is go. Natalia focused on the command console in front of her, and with a murmured command, brought up her internal HUD. She was directly linked to all of the information concerning her people, ready to wield them to their fullest. Her doubts all vanished to the back of her mind. This is what they had been preparing for, searching the world for, fighting and dying for. A chance to destroy the fascista where he lived. She wouldn't waste this opportunity. What is it that Victrix says? Ah, yes. It is go time. As they made their way up the sheltered mountain pass, Bulwark noted with satisfaction how little noise eight full squads of Earth's deadliest combatants could make. As was his custom, he had placed himself in the vanguard, and he found it rather unnerving as he slowly guided them up the slope to hear little more than the blustering wind whipping around the tops of the mountains that towered above them, and then to look back from time to time and see dozens of them, right at his back, matching his every step. Ow! Son of a bitch! He paused and held a fist high, motioning them all to stop. In his ear he heard Victrix echo his command. In English, but every one of the mixed group behind him had been drilled to understand a half-dozen simple commands in English. Only Echo, Echo Yoro, and CCCP had implants. But every one of the other teams was wired directly into Overwatch 2 as well as Overwatch 1 and the Colt Brothers via Victrix's original gear. Earpieces, throat mics, wristbands for vital sign monitoring and lapel cameras, though some, like the Chinese team, had mounted their cameras on the front of their helmets. He shot a wary sideways glance at Scope. Sorry, Scope whispered. Sharp rock. Bull shook his head and opened his fingers wide. He heard Victrix give the go command, and they returned to their silent march up the pass. Just hours before, he had been arguing with Bella over Scope's involvement in this mission. She wasn't ready. She was far from ready. But Bella had overruled him. Back with the main force surrounding the mountain city, perhaps, but Scope simply had no business being here with the infiltrators. Every man and woman here was at the top of his or her game, each ready to strike swiftly and without pause, knowing what was at stake. Win all or lose all. Victrix had given him a translation of Savior's pep talk to her group, and as insane as Natalia Shostakovaya was, most of the time, she was dead right this time. Win now or lose all. Scope had not seen anything approaching real field duty for months. But Bella had overruled him, and he had been forced to admit his squad lacked a sniper. For all her faults, Scope could still shoot better than any of them, even with her now shaky hands. He frowned as he navigated a tricky ledge, strewn with jagged pebbles, and thought of his other questionable squad member. Under normal circumstances, he wouldn't have even considered taking Mel along. Without her illusions, she was only as good as her training and current health, physical and otherwise. She had surprised them all, especially him, when she had come out on top in the demolition's crash course. Perhaps he shouldn't have been surprised. 
she had certainly taken herself to task at her rehabilitation, pushing herself harder with each passing day to return to fighting form. He watched as she glided up the pass with ease, despite wearing a heavy rucksack filled with explosives. She moved with practiced grace and confidence. As for her mental state, well, she was with the genie. That was a lunacy of its own kind, yet somehow their relationship was oddly calming for both of them. He took a few more steps before realizing that he had not counted the genie as yet another risky choice of squad member. At some point during their own rather rocky relationship, Bulwark had come to see Red Genie as a valued member of his team. He wondered when that had happened. It seemed significant, somehow. He glanced back at Red, who scampered silently behind him. From time to time, the genie nodded to Mel, who flashed him subtle smiles in response. For the past few weeks, Red Genie and Mel had grown stronger together, steadier, and, dare he say it, almost reliable. And reliable was something he very much needed right now. He groaned, inwardly, as Scope nearly tripped, and he heard the detonators in her pack clink loudly as she righted herself. You were supposed to strap those down, he murmured. Yeah, Scope muttered. My bad, sorry. Keep them quiet, he whispered. We're almost at the rendezvous. Five hundred yards, Bulwark. Just around that bend past the clearing ahead. The map in his HUD flashed an update. At a small clearing, just two hundred feet shy of their destination, Bull signaled a halt. As one, his troops knelt down and waited. He scanned the bushes and nodded in satisfaction as a figure garbed in complete black emerged from them. She was the smallest soldier he had ever met in his life. If he hadn't known better, he would have sworn the Chinese had erroneously enlisted a ten-year-old child. An undersized ten-year-old child at that. Report, Shushuma, he said. The girl reached up, pulled off her mask, and greeted him with an impish grin. A-OK, USA, she said. No body pads, no sensors, no nothing. Green light. Good, Bull grunted. Fall in with your squad. Shuma came to attention at her full height, which barely cleared his knees, saluted him smartly, and tumbled down the pass to join her comrades. Freaky little ninja, Scope muttered as Bull ordered them forward. Around the bend that Victrix had described, the valley, now more properly termed a defile, changed. The vegetation had been scoured from the rocks to either side, and sealed niches had been cut into the rock. Orange letters glowed above each one. At the end of the defile was, apparently, a huge empty valley sweeping away before them. That was the illusion that the protective bubble over the whole valley projected. It was not a hospitable-looking valley, and did not contain a water source. No herder, looking for a place to graze sheep, goats, or yaks, would give it a second glance. That's far enough, folks, Bull said, and called for a halt. 
No one approach that opening, unless you want to lose any limbs. Our scouts say it's an illusion. He gestured, signaling the approximate estimation of the disintegration field and motioned for Murdoch to come forward. John obliged, reaching into his pocket and removing a round, smoothly dimpled object. You sure you know how to work that thing? Bull asked. Give me a second here, Bulwark, John said. Vix is feeding me instructions right now. Might need a moment to get this right. Bull nodded and waited patiently as John's attention turned to the voice in his ear. He took a moment to scan the troops, who were taking advantage of the brief period of respite to check over their equipment. Even though the defile was wide enough to accommodate them comfortably, the prudent squadrons pressed together, wary of disturbing the glowing walls which shone with an eerie light. All except Scope, of course. With the casual air of a bemused sightseer, she strolled to one side and lit up a cigarette, feigning mild interest in the glowing glyphs that illuminated the passageway. They were incomprehensible, and she shrugged in indifference until Bulwark snatched the cigarette from her mouth and firmly put it out under his boot. "'What's your damage, Bull?' she demanded. "'You are,' Bull said. He pointed at the rest of the infiltrators. "'They are doing what they should, preparing themselves for the mission ahead while being mindful of their surroundings.' He pointed at Scope, his finger nearly poking her eye. You are being a space cadet and endangering us all by wandering from the path. Mind telling me what's going through that empty cavity between your ears? At this moment, he was as angry with Bella as he was with Scope. How could she not have seen how unready Scope was for this? He would rather have had the old Scope, the one who made mistakes because of trying too hard, than this one. I'm prepping too, Scope shrugged. This is the first real stop we've had in ages, and I was jonesing. And you know how some people are about cigarettes. Get one going anywhere near them and they act like you're vomiting tumors into their mouths. You should be inspecting your weapons. Why did he need to tell her this? The old scope would have already field-stripped them, inspected the parts, and put them back together again. Twice. My guns are always ready. This scope didn't seem to care that there was a streak of tarnish on the barrel of her rifle. The old scope not only would have had that off, she'd have made sure there wasn't a reflective centimeter on any of them. Bull had a nightmare moment of imagining his sniper being blown away because everything in the valley had honed in on the twinkle of light off her weapon. Surely she hadn't been that careless. Yet she was careless enough to wander off the known path. You shouldn't leave your group. We don't have any intel on what to expect here. What is all this anyway? Scope asked jerking her head towards the glyph-lined walls. If he told her, would she at least go back to the others? Our best approximation from Victrix is that this is where they bury their dead. Oh, Scope said, exaggerating her surprise. 
So we're talking dead Kriegers behind these glowy symbols. Well, that didn't work. That's right. Jesus, Scope, Victrix said with alarm in both their ears. This isn't the scenic tour of Kriegerland. You ask me, Bull. I'd say this is a great place to start our run, Scope laughed, ignoring her. We haven't fired a single shot, and we've already got a body count. She chuckled as she lit up another cigarette and leaned back against the passage wall. Scope, no, don't. Behind her, a glyph blazed to life, accompanied by a shrill whistle of alarm. Scope jerked away from the wall, her cigarette tumbling from her lips. She looked up. Following her gaze, Bull watched as debris erupted high above them from a series of detonations along the cliff face. Huddle up, Bull roared as he raced back to his startled infiltrators. On me, double time. And in his ear, Victrix repeating the order. Above them, enormous slabs of rock seemed to detach themselves from the walls in eerie slow motion, then hurtled down. A horrific sound accompanied them, the thunder of gods, as the slabs tore apart and rained certain death upon them. The squads came together, scrambling without a word, much less any screams of fright, and froze in place as an enormous nimbus of light erupted above them, catching the first jagged boulders that plunged down on them in an onslaught of stone. In the canopy of light, giant stalactites appeared to grow downward towards them, some reaching so close as to almost touch them. With a sudden and elastic release, Bull's kinetic shield sprang back, hurling the rocky debris up, up and away. The infiltrators watched in awe as some of the boulders careened forward, only to be atomized in the now visible disintegration field, while most of the falling rock was hurled back towards the mountain pass they had just spent hours climbing. And then darkness, as the shield dissipated and a harsh cloud of heavy dust and rubble settled around them. As total disaster unfolded before her eyes, Vicky was snapping orders at Gray. She was going to need a shit-ton of help. Overwatch, bulwark on monitor one. Gray, watch everyone else's vitals that we've got. Send red alerts to the handlers for the other teams. Oh, gods, if anything happens to Bull, Bella will never. Even as the rocks were vaulting back in all directions, it was obvious that Bull had taken a massive, massive hit. Everything was redlining. No, he was crashing. Oh, no, you don't. With a savage curse and a surge of power that burned out four of her reserve energy crystals, sending Gray scrambling to replace them, Vicky did the only thing she could, since she was not a healer. She put Bull's body in temporary hold. It made everything in his body stay the way it was when she fired it off, and would only last for about as long as it would take to get him to the forward med station. This was one of those Heisenberg uncertainty things. She knew the minimum time it would probably hold, but not the maximum. Please, let it last that long. Overwatch, open Moji! Moji! she cried, her voice cracking. Bulwark's down! Not to worry, little Sestra. I'm taking command.
Somehow, some way, Molotov sounded as cool as if he was flirting with some co-ed in a bar. That was one less thing to worry about. With a scatter shot of contacts, she made sure all the team handlers knew what was up, while Molotov bellowed over the last sounds of falling rock and the shocked responses of the infiltrators. Comrades, too late for stealth. We go, all of us, now. Murdoch, get portal open, leave it open. All teams, stage at field, get in fast and hard. Team Blue, Red Genie is new leader. John must have gotten the portal open in double time because the next thing she heard was, Now! Dave! 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 Go! 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 She checked back in with the other team handlers, who were on the ball so far as she could tell, and went back to Bull. Her spell was holding. Moji, we need two flyers to evac Bull back to the Swifts. Make it the SFO for Corby's Euro team. They've got jetpacks. Davidma. She listened with one ear while she checked on Bulwark again. His brain activity spiked. Don't you dare try to move you. Bulwark, she said sharply. I need you to stay completely quiet. Don't move. Don't speak. I've lost one of you guys already. And I... Her voice broke and she quickly studied it. I'm not losing you. Since Corby was a natural flyer, his entire team and their non-metahuman SFO support had been outfitted with the Echo jetpacks, in case the field generator turned out to be someplace that was otherwise inaccessible. Now the biggest two, with the beefiest packs, separated from the SFO team and eased bulwark onto a stretcher as the rest of their team piled through the portal. A moment later and they were in the air. Through Molotov's eye cam, Vicky got a glimpse of Scope, silent, seemingly numb, watching as Bulwark was carried off, strapped to the stretcher between the two flyers. Then she ducked her head and followed the rest of her team, the last of them to charge through the hole in the field. Then Molotov followed, and there was nothing left for her to do but keep Bull's vitals on her monitor, and follow the teams in her charge. John made sure that he was the first person from Red Team, and consequently, the first person of the entire infiltration section, through the portal and into Ultima Thule. His rifle shouldered, he scanned for threats as he sprinted left to the nearest cover. He knew that everyone else would be right on his ass. So much for a covert entry. There's no way in hell the Kriegers didn't notice that. In moments, Sarah, Molotov, Untermensch, Soviet Bear, and Mamona were all against the same cover with him. John glanced back towards the portal. All of the other infill teams were through and were quickly spreading out on their assigned routes. With any luck, at least some of them would get to their targets and get the shield down so that the main assault could begin. Vic swore creatively in his ear. There's no way the Kriegers miss that, she said, echoing his thoughts. Speed is your best friend, comrades. Johnny, throw all your eyes in the air. John let his rifle hang by the sling for a moment as he opened a pouch, shoved his hand in to retrieve all of the sensor eyes, and chucked them hard into the air. Vix must have been practicing, and practicing hard, 
they vanished almost as soon as they left his hand, and he just heard the faint whoosh of displaced air as they flew up and away. There were easily dozens of other such magical eyes being used by the other infiltration teams. Which girl is getting good? Victrix, bring up root on HUDs. Molotov also had his rifle up and out, scanning his sector. They couldn't sit here much longer if they wanted a chance. There was a pause. Overhead view from my eyes, she said. Partial map overlay. She said it in English. Probably meant this was going out to all the teams. Overwatch was smart enough that the red team members showed as bright blue dots, all the others as a grayed-out blue with abbreviated team designations above them. The same would hold for the other teams. It was also smart enough to center the HUD map on them. Worryingly, there were some red dots starting to appear as Vicky's eyes spotted Thulian's. Getting crowded on the playing field. Move, Molotov said in a harsh whisper. He hit John on the shoulder once for emphasis. He was going to be the point man for the team. With a nod, John set off, moving quickly in a half-crouch along the route that Vicky had marked for them. He had memorized it prior to stepping off for the mission, but the visual cue gave him one less thing he had to worry about messing up. Due to all of the marked enemy units starting to show up on the HUD map, though, they'd have to alter their route. John whispered, engaging his subvocal mic. We've got the lead elements of the welcoming committee up ahead. Adjusting route. John led the team down a side alley between two of the pristine white buildings, keeping his rifle directed to the front. If anything popped out at them, he'd have to take it down, and silently. The suppressor, while not perfectly silent, would keep any unfriendlies from getting a good fix on the direction that the rifle fire was coming from. The sound bouncing off of all of the buildings would help with that, too. Once they came to the end of the alley, John flattened himself against the wall on his right side, then slowly and deliberately edged himself towards the corner. Peeking only one eye around the corner, he checked both ways down the street. Clear. He swung around to the right, bringing his rifle back up. He was starting to hear sporadic gunfire off in the distance, followed closely by the unmistakable sound of Thulian energy cannons. Overwatch to Team Red, Moji replied. Go, Overwatch. All teams except Blue so far are encountering hostiles. More hostiles on the way. Cats out of the bag. Copy, Overwatch. Proceeding with mission. Moji muttered something under his breath in Russian. Vix replied the same way. John thought he made out the names Scope and Bulwark from both of them. Double time, Murdoch. We are being on accelerated schedule now. John nodded his assent. No point in worrying about Bulwark. That was way out of his hands. He picked up the pace moderately, but there was only so fast that you could go while being anything resembling stealthy. They were making good progress, though. So far as John could see on his HUD map, they had gotten further than any of the other infiltration teams in their immediate area, save for Blue Team. A bull was frickin' right. Scope wasn't. Shit, contact front! Coming out of the building, three right! 
The team was out in the open, right in front of a building but not near any sort of cover that they could get to in time. Three Kriegers, all in trooper armor, exited a building about 100 meters in front of the team. They seemed to turn as one, facing the group of metas, and went statue still, as if they were stunned for a second. Then, belatedly, they raised their arm cannons. John was the first to act. His enhancements were already keyed up, and the movement of the Krieger seemed exaggerated and slow to him. He quickly stepped into the street, clearing some obstructing pillars from his line of sight. He dropped his rifle to his side, thrusting out both hands. He... He didn't concentrate. It was more that he let go. His hands flared white-hot for a moment, surrounded by plasma that didn't so much as scorch a hair, and then the plasma erupted away from him to engulf the three Kriegers in a white inferno. Sarah leapt into the air and over his head, half flying, half jumping, and came down ahead of him and to his right. She manifested her spear of fire and threw it all in a single motion, then leapt back again, alighting beside him, another spear already in her hand, as the Krieger on the right, impaled, slowly toppled over. John, focusing on the Krieger on the left, concentrated the fire on his hands for a second before loosing it. It flashed out in a solid beam, hitting the trooper square in the chest and burning a hole through him. The rest of the team raised their rifles in almost perfect sync, stitching the remaining disoriented and weakened trooper with suppressed rounds, starting at the joints and working their way up until he was dead. Pooch is officially screwed. They know where you are. Three groups converging. Watch your HUDs. A sec. Gotta juggle. Viggy was right. They were officially on the radar of the Kriegers. Unless they could break free and slip the net the Kriegers were trying to envelop them with, they'd be stuck. Keep moving! Unter elbowed Molotov, nodding down the street. Some three hundred yards away, more Kriegers were appearing, making their way to the team. You heard the men. Move out! Molotov shouldered his rifle again, keeping it trained on the approaching enemies. John decided to take the team closer to the center of the city, cutting to the right through a boulevard. He could see that the Kriegers were still closing in, at least seven teams now. Oh, this is going to be tight. No two ways about it. John kept their pace as fast as he dared. They hadn't gone more than two blocks when he got the strangest tingle at the back of his brain. He had the presence of mind to look back at Sarah for a moment. Her eyes were blazing blue and gold, and he knew, though he could not see them, that his were doing the same. He felt the bond between them in a way he had not felt it before. They were not one, but ying and yang, two planets orbiting the same sun, aware, acutely aware of what the other was doing at every moment. Not only the present, but briefly into the future as well. They anticipated each other perfectly, intent and action blurring into each other. Contact right, John breathed, letting his rifle hang as his hands were sheathed in flame. Sarah manifested both spear and sword. Molotov didn't have time to protest before the pair sprinted forward and turned a corner, facing four bewildered Krieger troopers that had been waiting in ambush. John bathed the entire group with nearly white-hot fire in one quick burst, 
Sarah launched herself straight up into the air and came down between two of the Kriegers, impaling one helmet to toes with her spear as she landed, and half-turning instantly to bisect the other with her sword. Before the other two could react, she was in the air again. While they were trying to track her, John moved forward. With a flick of his wrist, he sent a beam of plasma to blast the helmeted head off of the Krieger on the left. The remaining one noticed his presence and was about to bring his arm cannons to bear. John ducked under the Krieger's arm, manifesting his own, much larger fire sword. Some part of his mind not occupied with fighting thought again that it might pass for a Scottish claymore. With a backhanded sweep, John hamstrung the trooper as he stepped past him, then turned and plunged the sword through the Krieger's back as he fell to his knees. The sword dissipated as soon as the trooper was dead. John snapped his head up, looking past the team, then unholstered his 1911 and fired once. The single round hit an unarmored Thulian that was coming from behind Mamona in the throat, sending the creature gurgling to the ground as it dropped the knife it had meant to plant in her back. Sarah landed beside him at that same moment, and the two of them went into identical postures of readiness. Moji stared at them for a long moment. Boss, boy. Behind, Sarah called in a high, clear voice. Moji, Unterbear, and Mamona were suddenly in the thick of a Thulian squad. Most of them were unarmored, but there was a single one in Krieger armor. The one that John had dropped had only been the first. Unter lashed out with precise Sistema strikes against the enemy nearest to him, breaking bones and destroying organs with each blow. Mamona ducked under a shot from a Thulian energy pistol, then stepped next to her attacker. Almost casually, she stabbed the man, first in his kidneys, then his liver, then above his clavicle and down into his heart, forcing him to the ground. Bear pulled the Krieger that was focusing on him into the barrel of his PPSH while firing it before sending the man flaming down the street with a burst of plasma from his gauntlets. Molotov grabbed the final unarmored Thulian by the throat. The creature clawed at the team leader's forearm fruitlessly. Then Molotov squeezed. The Thulian went limp, very dead, before Molotov threw him for the entire length of the next block. Spinning his head around, he dropped to the ground to leg-sweep the armored trooper before it could bring its cannons to bear on his comrades. Molotov pinned it to the ground as Unter, Bear, and Mamona began to methodically shoot out all of the Krieger's joints, sending sparks and spurts of blood onto the ground. Satisfied, he finally stood up, looking directly into the armored Krieger's visor. Die slow, Svinja. Moji, John said, after a glance at his HUD showed him this was just the first of far too many Kriegers bearing down on them. We need to move, and right now. We're at the risk of getting enveloped here. They've got our number just about. Molotov nodded, then signaled for the team to head out. Things were going to start to get really interesting in this part of the city. John just hoped they could live through it. For agonizing minutes, all Bella could do was watch Bull's vital signs in her HUD and wait for the Swift to reach the med unit and curse herself and Scope, herself most of all. I'm the one that put her in the field. I'm the one that overrode Bull. If I hadn't... 
In snatches, Vicky had told her what she'd done. This is like a body tourniquet. I basically froze everything at the moment I set the spell. If blood vessels were about to rupture, that stopped them, like that. It's a dumb spell. It doesn't tell me anything, and I wouldn't know what to do if it did tell me anything. We hope it lasts till it gets there and he's in your hands. If it lasts longer, then you get that many more seconds to fix things before it wears off. It's... He's pretty bad, Bella. Prepare yourself. The entire team was waiting for the Swift to come in hot and offload their precious cargo. Herself, Soviet, Gilead, Panacea, Einhorn. There were other healers, another half-dozen she'd recruited and trained, and others from the other nations, Euro-Echo and conventional doctors. But these four were the ones she trusted, who'd worked with her, hand in hand. And Upir. Upir who had, in the fifteen minutes that had passed since the disaster in the pass, recruited, or dragooned, a full thirty marines to serve as living batteries. Bella might not have angel juice for this, but she was going to have the next best thing. Upir would stand right at her back with one hand on her, and one hand on the marine she was siphoning energy from, and when he flagged, the next would step up, and the next... And then they heard the swift, its noise suppressors off, screaming into a hot landing. Still holding, Vicky said in her ear, and then was off again. The HUD showed that the Thulian city was a maelstrom of blue and red dots, with the red converging on the blue. For the first time, Bella was grateful that someone else was in the hot seat instead of her. But there was only a second to feel that gratitude, because at that exact moment, she and the team were running out the door to get Bull into the shelter of the med unit tent with the assistance of the medics on the swift. As soon as they got him inside, Bella tore off the blanket that covered him and witnessed one of her nightmares spring to life. He was... mangled. The arms and legs seemed bent in obscene places. What skin was exposed looked like one big bruise, and his face... Oh, God, his entire face is swollen shut. She gave herself a second, just one, to take a breath and pull herself together. Einhorn, right arm and leg. Gilead, left arm and leg. Sovi, head. Panacea, pain. She fired off instructions as they all raced beside the gurney. It was just dawn, pale, pearly light streaming over the improvised airfield. It would still be dark in the mountains. The room was already prepped, with a regular surgeon and team waiting, just in case, but she shook her head at them as they all shoved through the curtains. There was nothing a conventional doctor could do here. Under any other circumstances... Dear God... He'd be liquefied goo inside. Only two things had prevented that. The work she had done strengthening his bones and muscles and organs, and Vicky's spell, which had stopped everything mere fractions of a second after the avalanche. There were micro-ruptures everywhere, and he'd have been bleeding out internally in seconds if it had not been for that spell, which was still holding, giving her more precious time. Sylvie? Severe concussion, Sestra, and micro-ruptures. Sylvie sounded clinical and calm. Nothing I cannot handle. The 
bones, Einhorn wailed, appalled. The bones are bent. Of course they were bent. Bulwark's bones were as much metal as bone now, so instead of breaking under the terrible strain, they had held until they bent. And she could feel, though she walled it away, just how terrible the pain was. What the hell can we... She bit off, feeling a horrible surge of despair for a moment. A broken bone could be set, but how would you straighten something like this without doing even more irreparable damage to his muscles? Spoonbender! Panacea all but shouted. And Bella's despair cleared. The shy, innocuous Op 1, barely a meta by most people's standards, had been brought along to aid with equipment repairs. With Spoonbender around, you often didn't need to disassemble equipment to repair it. And he can bend Bull's bones back without hurting the rest of him. Overwatch, she commanded. Open Spoonbender. Bender, this is Bella. We need you at bay one of the med unit five minutes ago. Stat! Oh, what? Uh, uh, Roger, Spoonbender stammered. Get to work, Blue. I'll explain when he gets here. That spell could give out at any moment, Gilead grated, her voice rough as it always was when she was working. At that moment, Bella felt a familiar presence behind her and a warm hand planted on the back of her neck. Upir. Go to work, Sestra. I am being petrol station. The Russian girl chuckled a little. We can do this, I know. It is bulwark, and we do not fail him. Doctors were always told never to work on family members or loved ones. Emotions would inevitably complicate matters. Screw that. She would use her emotions to fuel her healing. She would use everything to fuel her healing. As she felt energy coursing into her from the hand at the back of her neck, she sank into that semi-trance where she could somehow see and feel everything that was wrong, everything that was broken. And she did not allow herself a moment of despair over it. Vicky's spell, somehow, was still holding, granting her yet a little more grace time to mend the worst. Heart first. Oh, the irony. Here we go. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And, as always, thank you for listening.